everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2020. We begin in Ireland, and we speak with author and youth ministry expert Gerard Gallagher about a new book on meditations on the Pope's exhortation to youth, Christus Vivit. And then we meet singer-songwriter Mike Boucher. In our second half hour, we meet Daniel and Michelle Shackle. They are the parents of Mikey Shackle, the boy who received the miracle that led to the beatification of Father Michael McGivney. You don't want to miss that conversation. And at the end of the program, we meet singer-songwriter Francesca La Rosa and listen to her music. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at slmedia.org slash podcast, and you can reach me by email pedro at slmedia.org and also through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. We begin now with Exploring Christus Vivit. Following the Synod of Bishops on Young People and Vocational Discernment, Pope Francis published the apostolic exhortation Christus Vivit. In it, the Pope reminds us of the youthfulness of the church and emphasizes the importance of making room for the young church. Someone very familiar with Christus Vivit is Gerard Gallagher. He's a pastoral coordinator in the Archdiocese of Dublin, Ireland. Gerard invited several people who work in youth and young adult ministry to explore several key aspects of the exhortation. The result is a practical guide that offers not only reflections, but opportunities for deeper exploration. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by Gerard Gallagher from his home in Dublin, Ireland. Gerard, good to, good to have you. you on the program. Absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you. So um, what would you say is unique about Christus Vivit? The uniqueness is since the Second Vatican Council, there has never been just one pastoral letter dedicated to young people. And I think that's the uniqueness of this document. Um, it's a culmination of a lot of documents and thinking around the pastoral life in the church of lay people. But there's never been a particular uh, exhortation or pastoral document just directed for young people. But the uniqueness of this one is that young people were listened to in advance yes. during and at the synod. So their I, voices are in the... I was going to ask you about that. I mean, we I don't think we can we can quite say that it's written by young people, but I know young people, at least with the pre-synod and the pre-synod document, it was written by young people. So I know that the when you say that that young people were listened to, um, you you really mean that. Why do we need a companion guide? Um, it's interesting. In Ireland, there's a tradition that whenever some of these documents come out from, as we say, in Rome, so you've had Gaudium et Spes, you've had the Joy of the Gospel, you've had Morris Titsia, we always have some kind of commentary book to, oh. to help people understand what's going in it. Um, and the idea came to me um, just shortly after we were in Panama at the World Youth Day, because this document came out two months later. Right. And myself and others, like we, we work hard together, you know, we understand the bigger picture. Mm. But I actually was struck at the silence of how the reception was to Christus Vivid internationally. Really? And also here in Ireland. Um, unlike other documents. So some of the other documents would have, you know, say... Um, Laudato Si would have a huge following online and, you know, people supporting it and trying to put it into practice. I felt that the youth ministers and the leaders of young people find it hard to get traction within the, the official church to uh -huh. some of their ideas on the ground. That was the idea behind the book. Right. Yeah. Um, and you, of course, gathered a lot of people that, you know, 
good yeah. friends of good friends of ours yeah. a, a lot of them um yeah. that have that have lots of experience working mm-hmm. with young people from around the world um mm-hmm. so can you give us some examples of some of the topics that are covered and maybe some of the people that contributed to the to the book well, we, we took kind of a, a series of the themes each of the chapters we followed from Kristen Levin um and, and okay. for example I tried to have 50 percent of them Irish contributors and the other 50 from overseas right. also a gender balance as well so uh-huh. like we have three bishops who attended the Synod from Ireland they're in it um, mm-hmm. but, but we have Trinita Cavallo from England, you know, and she's reflecting on, she, she takes the first chapter, which is on, you know, what, what does the word of God say to young people? And she, she creates a whole dinner party around that experience. Right. Um, a, a colleague of mine who's a Jacobit uh, teacher, uh, he, he brought chapter four into the school, uh, into the classroom, and he got the kids to read it in school. And he says, what do you make of that? And some of the questions that they come back with were, very illuminating and to me that's been the surprise chapter that people have all resonated with yeah Paul Jarzabuski from you know from Washington Paul reflects on the imagination Um, I have a a good colleague of mine Martin Bennett reflecting on vocation um, and discernment in those kind of core themes that Pope Francis has brought to everything right Um, and then we got to March and then the book was paused for publishing because of this thing called the pandemic. Um, <laughs> you might have heard about it in Canada. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. so, so the publication was paused. And what actually happened then was probably providential because one of our other colleagues, Michelle Remery, I approached him and he, he's famous for tweeting with God, that whole project yep. mm-hmm. online. Yes. So he, he, he did a whole reflection on, from online masses to online communities. Because globally, we all shifted to the online church. Right. Um, but he provides some good theological reflection around uh-huh. how we blend the two and how we get them to coexist in the future. Right. So is the idea that this book can be used as a as a study guide almost for, for people that want to explore the exhortation Absolutely. better? Absolutely. Because at the end of each chapter, Pedro, we have, I've offered each of the contributors to propose questions, okay. either for yourself to self-reflect or for groups to study right. together. Yeah. But also, just recently, uh, we were in a major lockdown here in Ireland, and what we did is we did a Christus Vivit book club. Oh, um, nice. Sessions. And what we did was we, we had contributors on picking up some of the themes. So we did conversational. So you didn't have to read the exhortation or read my book, but you could kind of pick up on some of the, the, the emerging themes. You know, themes around scripture and young people, script, uh, themes around why young people aren't following our way of life. To, to, to vocation and to serve so we had some really good conversation okay. on that um and, and that worked and that could be uh-huh. a method of bringing it to these people who haven't read it right that's a good idea especially now when when so many uh, of these uh activities have moved online maybe a good suggestion um gerard i i don't want to leave without uh talking to you about your your latest book and i love the title news too good to keep it's a it's a collection of advent reflections um, maybe as we close off the interview, uh, you could share with us a little Advent reflection that we can take on our on our journey. Uh, this Absolutely. Year. I'll just give you a little bit of the background. I am not a spiritual writer. I'm well known for working with young people or writing about more academic matters. But yeah, um, a colleague of mine says, would you do a prayer book for for Lent? OK, <laughs> so this is how this all started. So I got into this rhythm every day of doing a reflection on Lent. And so it was a piece of a reflection on, on a piece of scripture and then also an action because I'm a believer that you have to put it into action as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The book became a little bit of a bestseller for people in that world, especially younger people. Good. So then whilst we were in lockdown during the summer, they asked me what I do one for Advent. 
Nice. So again, I use my lockdown to, I was in Advent already this year. This is my second <laughs> Advent. Um, yeah. but, but, but the title news to good to keep, um, I, th- I think it just sums up what Advent is around. It's around mm-hmm. the proclamation of this message of good news that we're not supposed to keep. Um, we have to give it away somehow. So yeah. the idea is for people to prepare for Christmas, but prepare an Advent. A little bit of scripture, a little bit of a reflection, but also an action that we put it into kind of practice somewhere. Yeah. Um, I think this is going out on Saturday. Um, so th- I, yes. I give you a reflection from one of the Saturdays. Um, it, it might just take about a minute if you have a minute. Okay, sure. So, yes. So, so it's, it's based on a piece of scripture from Matthew's gospel. So it's on the, the have mercy on a son of David where, where Jesus meets the two blind men. Mm-hmm. And so that's the piece of scripture from the first Saturday of Advent. And this is the reflection. Everyone at some point in their life asks for a second chance. Some might want the opportunity to do something again differently. And many of us come up short at some point. And sometimes our choices, our bad behavior, our sin in our lives can trap us. And we can all miss the mark of perfection. All we can do is try again. So the readings throughout this first week of Advent have looked backwards and forwards at the same time. In history, the Jewish people, as the history of all the peoples, there were times when they failed God. And the fact that God was revealed in the infant born in Bethlehem is part of God's fuller revelation. And God spoke through the words and the actions of Jesus, and Jesus knew his mission was short. And the psalmist reminds us to be strong and let your heart take courage. And Isaiah said that the eyes of the blind will see again. And it was the blind men who were following Jesus who recognized that following Jesus was different. And many of us can be blind to the work and the deeds of Jesus. Having faith means us to be fully believe and trust in Jesus. Just as Jesus touched the eyes of the blind, he continues to touch the lives of people today. And this can be done for you if you believe Jesus promised that he will return. Jesus is asking you this Advent, do you believe? You can return to Jesus anytime. All you need is faith. Faith healed the blind. Jesus gives everyone a second chance. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you. That's a great uh, reflection, not just for that one day, that Saturday, but I mean, for the whole, uh, the whole season. And Gerard, thank you so much. It's been really good talking to you uh, with you today. I'm sorry that it took us so long to get you in the show. <clears throat> um, it's just my fault that there's a pandemic. I want to do a road show, international, a road well, trip. Well, we can should. We, can, we all work on that? can we work on that? Can we work on that? So you can come yeah. to Canada and I can go to Ireland. Correct, and we can do that, and we definitely will meet in Portugal in uh, three years. Absolutely, absolutely, Gerard Gallagher. Thank you very much. Uh, Have a blessed Advent journey yourself. You too, Maranatha. God bless you. Gerard Gallagher is a pastoral coordinator in the Archdiocese of Dublin, Ireland, and has worked in youth and young adult ministry for over twenty-five years. He is the author of many books. His latest, "Exploring Christus Vivit: Making Room for the Young Church," and News Too Good to Keep are both published by Veritas Books. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Mike Boucher, with his song, Forever. We were walking down the street I was holding your hand And I brushed the hair back from your face And I understand as I 
That was Mike Boucher with Forever. Now, I I met Mike Boucher in the spring of 2019 as we both were participating in the Diocese of Fall Rivers Women and Men's Conference. I was one of the speakers and he provided all the music. Mike has been playing professionally for many, many years and he plays all kinds of events, whatever you need him to do, but what he really enjoys is serving the church. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Mike Boucher. Mike, it's so good to see you. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's great to be here. So I, I know that we need to mention that Boucher is, is a French name that came through Canada. Um, and so I, I'm curious to know a little bit about just growing up. What You grew up in the States. What was life growing up? Was it a Catholic family? Yeah, I grew up in a Catholic family. It's me, my brother, Paul, who's uh, 13 months younger than me. Uh-huh. and uh, my mom and dad and uh, my mom and dad when we were old enough to start going to um, traditional uh, Catholic education like CCD mm-hmm. here is what we call it in the states yep um, they decided they didn't want to go that traditional route and um, my parents along with about a hundred other families petitioned the cardinal to do a homeschool program and uh, so I was homeschooled um, at, in, in my faith. Wow. And um, within the 100 families, there were uh, some of those people were drivers and they used to pick up kids when you're able to do that uh-huh. and take them to one person's house. And that person was the teacher. And so we had classes of maybe like 10 to 15. So it weren't huge. Wow. And uh, we were in someone's house and that's how we learned about our faith. And I thought uh, back, you know, many times I've thought back about how that really impacted um, my faith and my ability to still continue to worship and be a part of the church. Right. Yeah. Wow. That sounds uh, amazing and different. Um, was it musical? Did, were you, was it a musical household? When did you pick up the guitar? So um, I was an engineer by schooling and uh, career. And about 2003, I was forced out of my job at NASA Mm-hmm. Um, and at home, I decided when I was laid off, I, I decided to pick up the guitar as a hobby and one way to entertain myself and my kids because my okay. kids were really, my two older kids. Uh-huh. So it was a great way to sort of entertain them. And then someone said, Hey, bring your guitar to, um, play group. And so I started to do that and that more into an actual career for a chain of, uh, daycares called Bright Horizons here in okay. the state. And so um, that morphed into sort of doing music and enriching kind of children's lives with, with music and my own kids. Right. And then I remember there was a, uh, a call at church for guitarists and singers to come and provide their talents. And I did. And I was there as a guitarist and a singer in my church uh, in Hingham, Massachusetts, uh-huh. uh, until uh, the person who was leading the that this particular choir didn't want to do it anymore. And then I found myself in a leadership role and I did that for 15 years, our family liturgy. So it sounds like you were, so it sounds like the the music part of it uh, happened as you, as an adult, but were you always uh, really strong in the faith or did you also kind of have a revival in, in, in your faith as an adult? Well, I think that my mom was a huge influence on my faith and, and my dad, you know, they lived their faith, which was great. And um, so I've learned to live my faith. But I think um, when I got to college, well, I continued to worship, 
but I don't think that I was involved in my faith like mm-hmm. I am now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until I was in my second year of university uh, that I was invited to live. So we had, it's a city university, Northeastern University okay. in Boston. Yeah. And we had a Catholic church that was part of the uh, archdiocese right close to campus. And across the street were some um, brownstone apartment buildings that were across and that the diocese, the archdiocese owned those buildings. And I remember coming out of the church and our pastor, Father Frank Fairbairn, he uh, came to me and said, Mike, I have an offer for you. Come live with uh, at the parish house. Oh my. And we had six guys who um, were all college students in the area. Some were at MIT, some were at BU, some were at BC. And, um, we all lived together as a brotherhood, which was kind of nice. Yeah. And then uh, we had dinners together. And, uh, and it, at that point, I think that's when my faith really started to come alive because mm-hmm. I would have sort of weekly conversations with our pastor and our, our landlord. And yeah. um, it was great. Like I, it really challenged me and the things that I was sort of dealing with at the time, yeah. which, uh, you know, I think all Catholics started as, as they're getting focused on their career, yeah. they start focusing on that and maybe stepping away from the faith. And that sort of got me grounded. And yeah, that to... sounds like a great, uh, great, great help in, in uh, connecting with your faith. When did you start writing songs? So maybe about five years ago, um, I started to think about, you know, where am I going with this career mm-hmm. as a uh, as a leader of worship in my home church, um, there were lots of opportunities for, um, for Psalms to write different Psalms. So I started doing that mm-hmm. and then, um, teamed up with a really great friend of mine and who is the, was the former music director of the other Catholic church in our town. And we sort of teamed up together and we started writing, um, the songs for this, uh, album that I'm hoping to release over, uh, 2021 right and it's it was just was a marvelous opportunity to to write with him he was really easy to write with and collaborate Uh, ideas that's great yeah so those are the so the songs that we've been listening to are are songs that hopefully um will end up in that new album um um so we're looking forward to 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 hearing how these songs uh evolve and how they end up in an album um I know it's been difficult this this year, Mike, as a as someone who makes a living from from doing events and doing music. Um, and and I know that you just started doing music. You 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 provide music at the cathedral in Fall River. Um, so I know it's been uh, it's been difficult. So I hope that things get better um, as uh, time progresses. But maybe there's more opportunities for uh, you to do stuff online. I know you've been doing a little bit of that as well and for recording. Mike, um, we're going to have to leave it there, but it's been really good connecting with you. And uh, I'm so happy that you're finally recording these songs and that that we're going to have an album soon. Uh, So thank you for telling us a little bit about your work and your ministry and your music today. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. You can learn more about Mike Boucher and book him for your event as soon as that's possible at his website, musicalmike.net. Here now to take us out is Mike Boucher with his song, Set Me Free.
You made the stars You know who you are Before I was made My dad had to pay Make me someone who Longs for your truth Anytime my sin makes me fall I cry out, you answer my call Set me free out of a doubt and despair Take me higher to the place where you are Like a blazing fire consuming my soul Help me believe Set me free. My desire is strong. To be with you is where I belong. In your presence, I will stay. Cover me as I pray. Do my best to follow you. In a world that mocks everything you do Give me hope when I have none To your arms I will run Set me free out of a doubt and despair Take me higher to the place where you are Like a blazing fire consuming my soul Help me believe Your life you gave For mine at the grave I was lost but your love rescued me The depth of my sorrow Took all my tomorrows Till you said Come follow me Set me free out of a doubt and despair. Take me higher to the We're listening to Mike Boucher with his song, Set Me Free. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Be sure to visit our website at slmedia.org slash podcast. Set me free out of a doubt and despair. Take me higher to the place where you are. Like a blazing fire consuming my soul, help me believe. Help me believe. Help me believe. Set me free. Oh, set me free. Yes, set me free. Oh, set me free. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Father Michael McGivney is the founder of the Knights of Columbus, and he was beatified on Saturday, October 31st, 2020. The miracle that led to his beatification is a wonderful and beautiful story that involves a child with Down syndrome in his mother's womb, and who is the youngest of 13 children. No one can tell us the story better than his parents. And so, 
I spoke with Dan and Michelle Shackle earlier this week. Daniel and Michelle Shackle, it's so good to have you with us today. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. Great to be here, Deacon. Yeah, so um, uh, of course I want to know the story, and it's such a wonderful story, but first I want to ask you how little Michael is doing. Is he uh, excited about his trip that's coming up? Yeah, I mean, he's as excited as, as he can be, being at his age and not really getting the gravity of everything that's going on. But yeah, right. yeah, yeah, we're all excited. Yeah. Yes, he keeps saying, we're going on a trip in the van and I get to go. So he's very happy. <laughs> that's wonderful. Would he, would he uh, understand? I mean, you said he didn't understand sort of the grasp of the whole situation, but he obviously is familiar with Father Michael McGivney. Um, does uh-huh. he have a sense of that there's something special happening? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of videos and interviews and stuff done of him. And when they're turned on in the house, he'll say, I don't want to watch Mikey. I want to watch Paw Patrol. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he knows what's important. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, Michelle, tell us a little bit about how, how this story began when you were pregnant. So we got an ultrasound early, which I usually don't do because of my advanced maternal age Mm -hmm. and um a lot of times they want to do a lot of testing that i just don't really like uh but i had a wonderful midwife um who said michelle just go ahead and have an ultrasound let's just see how everything is and so i said yes and uh it showed a thickness on the back of his neck Mm -hmm. which usually means there's a chromosomal problem And so they said that we needed to have further testing. And so then um, they requested that I have a non-invasive DNA test. And that's actually where they pull the child's DNA out of your blood Mm -hmm. because it's separate, Mm -hmm. you know. And so they pull that out and they're able to tell many things. And I was they kept saying if because that'll give you options and I said well I don't really want it and then they explained to me that he could have spina bifida Mm -hmm. and they could correct that so I Mm -hmm. said of course I want it and so let's see when I was week 13 we found out positively that he had trisomy 21 and that he was a boy okay yeah and at that point what was the prognosis so it was just just down syndrome yeah and so then they wanted us to go to a, a high risk clinic okay uh here in town and we went there and um the doctor said i'm sorry your son has a condition called hydrops and it's a and he's very sick with it. Mm -hmm. He has a very bad case. And later I learned that there are different things. When you have high drops, you can, there are children that survive, Mm -hmm. but it's usually for different reasons. Like the mother may have an infection, all of those things. But with a diagnosis of uh, Down syndrome and high drops, the way he had it, it's fatal. And so he had fluid all throughout his body in different body cavities. And Mm -hmm. so she said, um, he won't live. Right. And, uh, she said, you can induce now or you can wait until he dies and induce then, but he will not live. And that's where Daniel chimed in and said, we need a percentage. Mm -hmm. 
and she said, I'm sorry, Mr. Shackle, um, there is no chance that he will survive. I've been doing this many years and I've never had a baby this sick survive. This, the chance is zero. Right. But you didn't give up, Daniel. You guys started praying. We didn't give up. Uh, part of our marital struggle during that time was, was me uh, holding on to disbelief at the doctor's diagnosis. Right. Right. <laughs> My wife is, uh, she calls herself a realist and, <laughs> and me an optimist. And so the whole time I was like, nope, I'm not accepting this. And uh, I had I, it made me kind of angry as a father. I feel like it's my job to protect my children, not to kill them. Yeah, it is. And so I was very angry at the doctor that she had told me to kill my child. And Michelle's much more charitable than I. And she said, well, she's just worried about my health and all of these other things, you know, mm. and I get it. I get it. But yeah, I mean, my reaction was anger and also, uh, you know, suspension of belief and, I'd even made a comment to Michelle. I don't know who the hell she thinks she is. We've got a trip planned to Fatima. So. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So tell me about that trip to Fatima. Well, it was a Knights of Columbus awards trip each year for their um, people that do well. They have a, a trip to different places. And this was the first time that they'd ever decided to make this trip a pilgrimage. So she had to get a letter from her doctor. We had ultrasound right before we left and everything looked the same as it had. And uh, we went early to Rome. We had a, a, a man from our parish who was studying at the North American College. He was a, a newly ordained priest. He asked us if, if uh, we wanted to have mass in St. Peter's our last day there. He said he'd never done mass there. And we said, absolutely. So that evening was the opening mass for the day of mercy or the year of mercy. Mm -hmm. So as we went in there, they were setting it all up and, they assigned us an altar, which was the Our Lady of Prompt Sucker altar on the right-hand side, about halfway up the Basilica. And that was one that Michelle told me afterwards that the Knights of Columbus had adopted to refurbish several mm -hmm. years before. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we joined up with the rest of the group in Lisbon. We, uh, we went and prayed at St. Anthony's birthplace and all these different places. We made our pilgrimage to Fatima prayed a rosary at the apparition site. Mm -hmm. uh, Archbishop Laurie was inspired that day to consecrate the Knights of Columbus to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Mm -hmm. And we, we really hadn't told too many people. There were a few that knew, but not too many people on the trip knew what we were mm -hmm. going through. We kind of mm -hmm. hung out in the back of the crowd. We didn't sit up front with all the people coming for miracles or any of that kind of stuff. No. But the reading that day, the gospel reading that we were there just happened to be uh, the Roman official coming to Jesus and saying, please help my son and him saying, you're a hard hearted generation. You have to have signs and wonders to believe. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a pretty heavy moment for us. I think to actually hear that. Oh, he said, he, after he said that, he said, you may go in peace. Your son will live. Right. That's right. The, that's the part of the uh, scripture right. that hit us so strongly. Right. Of course. And I never, you know, like I said before, the whole time I was, I didn't believe that he was going to die for some reason. I don't know why, but just extra grace. I don't know. Cause yeah, it doesn't yeah. make sense that I didn't honestly. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, that was kind of a big affirmation for me hearing that. Yeah. And I think after we heard that, I think we both felt a big sigh of relief or some peace. I can't speak for Michelle completely, but 
Uh, I think well, when we got back and had the other ultrasound after going through everything we had gone through, I wasn't very surprised, honestly. No, Michelle, I am curious. What were you, what was going on through your head in Fatima? So we think completely different. Um, <laughs> Opposite the track. So um, the doctor actually, I have to say this, there was a chance that I could get something called mirror syndrome uh-huh. and I could die. And so the woman takes on hydrops. So that was part of my worry. Right. Um, and then me being a planner, I had to know where every hospital was in case I did have to go be induced or if the baby started coming early. And uh, his name was Benedict at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were calling him Baby Ben, and I had a dear friend make a a burial gown. They were two different sizes, Mm -hmm. but one even had been embroidered on it. And so um, she told me that he probably wouldn't die while we were in Europe, but he might, but probably not because she said with hydrops, when it starts to really take effect, it happens quickly. Mm So the baby will have a certain amount of fluid and then all of a sudden they'll just die in a day or two. So I had all of those things in my mind. And the night that Daniel told Father McGivney, if you will pray for our child, I will name the child after you, Father McGivney. Mm -hmm. And um, I never thought that God couldn't heal him, but I didn't think, I don't think any of my children, I have 18 children all together. And he loves my five children that are not here just as much as he loves mm-hmm. the 13 that are. Of course, of course. And so, and they have different stories. Mm-hmm. And so to me, he could do it, but it didn't, he might not. Right. And so Dan was just adamant that that's how it's going to be. And, and I was a more of a realist. I was like, it might happen. He has right. the ability to do it, but it might not. And so I had to kind of be prepared for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah. But you did pray. I mean, I know Daniel did pray to, to Father McGivney for his intercession. And we know that God's plan for little Michael was, was, uh, was, I mean, we know what his plan was uh, through the sure. intercession of Michael McGivney. So um, quickly, can you tell me a little bit of how that sort of miracle approval went to, to get us to where we are now? So that was a long process after he was born. Yeah. And uh, a tribunal was like a court of law. I was mm-hmm. really nervous and I uh, had to get all the medical records together. Um, you know, we were in a lot of therapies at that time with Michael trying to help him swallow. He has a, a a problem with swallowing sometimes. And so mm-hmm. that's been a big problem. So he was, you know, so it's kind of a very stressful time for all of us. Um, they just, we had to get all the medical records and all the dates correct. And I put a little book together cause I was so worried I would mess up. Right. I mean, God does a miracle and we gave it to our lady and we were like this, we were consecrated to her. So our lady, this is yours. You know, if you want the miracle to happen, let it be. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's this human part of you that's like, I got to make sure I have everything. Correct. Well, we knew that we knew that it would probably come to this eventually. I mean, yeah. we weren't, of course, until the second ultrasound where everything was normal and the doctor was shocked that it was normal. Mm-hmm. We hadn't tried to put all the pieces together of our story, you mm-hmm. know, to see all the things that had been developing. But once that happened, we got back, we sat back and started thinking about, well, this happened and then this happened. And just all the coincidences lining up and we thought 
man, we've got to write this stuff down or we're going to forget all of this. Right. Right. But we, I mean, it's like I told the tribunal, you'll never convince me no matter what the Holy father says that it wasn't a miracle. So yeah, of course, of course. I mean, we already, we were not surprised that it went all the way through like this. We, something would happen and we would look at each other and say, well, we're probably going to hear some, some news this week, you know, and yeah. sure enough, we would hear yeah, it's wonderful. moved this cur it's moved this hurdle or this hurdle, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that's wonderful. Um, so Michael McGivney's being beatified uh, October 31st and, and the miracle that got him there was your son um, who lived. He has Down syndrome, but that in itself is probably a gift. Uh, the greatest gift we have ever been given is the gift of Down syndrome. We were yeah. happy. We weren't upset about the Down syndrome diagnosis no. when we got it. We were, we were happy. I mean, yeah. kind of excited, really. Yeah. So... Yeah, well, and, and you should be excited. And, and uh, to go back to where we started, I, I know that Michael is excited too. He's going on a trip and, and maybe, well, of course, as he's older, he'll understand a little better the significance of this. Um, guys, uh, it's been so good meeting you um, and, and getting your story uh, straight straight from directly from you. Um, I've, I've heard the story and read it uh, already but but it's not the same when when you hear it from you guys you've 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 been blessed and and you've gone through a a great journey and and the journey maybe is just beginning actually <laughs> <laughs> so uh thank you for sharing it with us today and and uh have fun on your uh, little vacation thank you deacon thank you. it's such a pleasure to talk to you and we hope that this helps <clears throat> others increase their faith as much as it has ours Amen. Absolutely. And that, that's also a miracle right there. Um, so God bless you and uh, God bless Michael and the rest of your children. God bless Thank Deacon. You. Have a good day. Take Father, care. Bye -bye. Pray for us. That was a conversation I had with Daniel and Michelle Shackle earlier this week. Dan and Michelle are the parents of Michael Shackle, the little boy who was healed through the intercession of Father Michael McGivney, the miracle that led to his beatification. Michael McGivney was beatified on October 31st, 2020. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Francesca La Rosa, with her single, Spiritual Communion Song. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. Receive you 
That was Francesca La Rosa with her single, Spiritual Communion Song. Francesca La Rosa knew from a very young age that she wanted to devote her life to music and to Jesus. She has been singing at Mass since age nine and after high school went on to college to study music. In 2011, she was chosen to sing the theme song for the National Catholic Youth Conference, which was in Indianapolis that year. After graduating, she worked as a music teacher and music director at her parish. She loves writing music from scripture and singing at churches for weddings, funerals, praise and worship nights, and loves even more sharing her songs with others. And I'm always delighted to meet new Catholic singer-songwriters, and so I'm very happy to welcome Francesca La Rosa to our program today. Francesca, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be it, here it's today. It's so good to meet you uh, formally, I guess. <laughs> um, so you, you, you are from Indianapolis. You grew up there. What was growing up like? I'm assuming uh, La Rosa is Italian, so was it a very yes. Catholic family? Yes, yes. I am very fortunate to have amazing parents. I love my siblings. Um, faith was very instilled in us from a very young age. And so I'm very grateful to my parents for teaching us that. We had a family band. My dad played guitar. Oh my, my aunt God. played bass. My uncle played guitar. And all my sisters, we all sing. Oh, wow. So truly, Mass was the center of our family. So how many, how many brothers and sisters? Um, there's, there, there's five of us. So two boys and three girls. And you're all musicians? Yes. Wow. So it was like a little Von Trapp family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Italian Von Trapps. Really? And are they all in music as well now or they've all? We, we all do different things. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. but I, I love each and every one of them so dearly. So, and you guys, you said you played with, so your dad was kind of like the leader of the band. Did, did you play as a family at church? Yes. Yes. Our whole lives revolved around mass as a family. And so that was so beautiful. We, we played at the 5 p.m. Saturday night mass every oh my week. Gosh, so did I. So that, it was so, I, really? I, I, yeah, it was 5.15. That's how I started. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Saturday, 5 p.m. mass. Yes. Wow. Wonderful. Um, and um, I didn't mention it in the introduction, but you, you've told me before that you, you were already writing music as a teenager. You even recorded some albums. Was the whole family recording music? Um, my, my dad played on a few songs and my sister sang background on a, a few songs as well. My, my dad is such a supportive person. Yeah. And both of my parents told me, if you write enough songs for every part of the mass, we'll help you record an album. Okay. So I said, I want to write an opening song. I want to write a song for gifts and communion and a closing song. So that's really what sparked that. And I loved writing songs about the mass because that was my life. And right. ever since then, I... I really love writing songs for Jesus. I have tried just simply performing to perform, mm -hmm. but there's nothing like sitting at the foot of the cross or singing during adoration or mass. That's where yeah. I really feel the Lord's presence. Yeah. You know what? I, I think I can relate because I remember I, I was also a parish musician for many years. And I remember thinking like, I can do this forever. Like this is like the happiest that I've ever been. It's just doing music at mass. Mm -hmm. um, did you feel did you feel that that's that's all you wanted to do um or did you think no i want to sort of write music and have albums and and i hate to say it but you know kind of be more famous you know have my music out there kind of thing mm -hmm. or, or did I, you what, what yes i definitely desired to kind of go wherever God led me. Mm -hmm. I auditioned for The Voice. I auditioned okay. for American Idol. And yep. that was oh. not the Lord's plan. <laughs> oh. But truly the day that I auditioned for American Idol was the same day I met my husband. 
at a Bible study later that day. So I, I only wanted to be on American Idol to meet a producer. That was my main goal. Okay. I just wanted someone to help me record my music because I had all of these psalms. I had oh all of this gosh. music that I wanted to record for the Lord. So I didn't make it on the show. But later that night, I went to a Bible study and I met my husband. He gave me his business card and said, Who's I would love to help producer? you record your music. That's hilarious. Oh, <laughs> yes. my gosh. What a great story. Um, so wonderful yeah that's right so yeah in case anybody missed it so her francesca's husband is a music producer he's he's a so that that's great um tell me a little bit more so you you said you wrote uh and you recorded songs for the mass uh did you record mass parts as well were there were, were you writing other music I, I did have mass parts as well. And then I also had some songs that I wrote from my heart about yeah. my friends or about guys I liked, right. like things like that. I was a teenage girl. <laughs> um, and then I went to college and I thought I would be a performer. So I started out in vocal performance and it turned out being so much geared towards almost operatic singing, oh, yeah. which was a little different than where I wanted to be, but I still loved it. And I decided to go into education. Okay. So I did music education and I started teaching children how to sing and right. even more so, I desire to teach children about faith. So right. that was my whole heart. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like you were you were always pretty strong in your faith. You never, as a teener, teenager, had moments of not doubt, but you know, maybe straying a little bit away, or 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 maybe not going to mass every Sunday. Um, did you ha or or have a moment of like a re reconversion or something that really uh, that was the moment that that you knew that this is where you needed to be. Mm. That's a great question. <laughs> um, truly, my parents have always helped us be centered in the Lord. Mm -hmm. I did have moments of doubt. Um, I did have moments where I thought, why can't I hear the Lord's voice? I just yeah. wish God could tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, just through prayer, I think the rosary has really helped me. I think mass mm -hmm. has really helped me. Eucharistic adoration has been amazing. <laughs> That's yeah. really where I have found... My, my steps where the mm -hmm. Lord is leading me. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I, I have had doubt. I, I'm not someone who's like, oh, I have everything figured out. I'm still trying to figure that out to this day. But Right. Yeah. Nobody yes. is. Yeah. <laughs> even, if they say, <laughs> even if old people like me say we do, we don't. Um, um, it, it sounds to me, and I think you might have, this might be on your website too, that, that a lot of your music is scripture based. Um, obviously you were writing songs for mass. I know that you write a lot of psalm settings. Do you find that that's kind of where where your your passion is to yeah? Yes, I absolutely love the psalms. I think they are so beautiful. I do love writing lyrics, but I uh -huh. feel that the Lord's words are so much yeah. better than mine. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's when I read scripture, I hear I hear music. Yeah. I, I I don't hear a whole lot of silence in my life, which I, I yearn for silence, but when I read scripture, I hear music and I hear the words come to life. And so I always just recorded them on my phone for my own prayer. Right. But when I started showing those songs to my students, they said, Can you please record this? I, I need yeah. to pray with this. So I started recording things just to help people pray. Yeah. Um, are you are you doing music at your parish right now? I'm kind of doing music at several different parishes. Okay. I ended up leaving that position. I loved that job. It was so great. I ended yeah. up leaving that to go pursue my music more further. Right. Um, so I've had so many great opportunities this year. It's been so beautiful. And I do miss that parish a lot. But Yeah, it sounds like it. No, I was, gonna, I was asking that because I thought, you know, you probably had the opportunity to sing the psalm every Sunday. 
or every Saturday. Um, yes, and, and, yes. And, and try your, your settings. And I think a lot of musicians are doing that. And, mm-hmm. and there's a great need for psalm settings. So um, um, it's always good to hear that there are people like you that are, are writing music for psalms. And I hope oh, that you have you. the opportunity to share that sheet music with people. Um, you're working on a new, on a new album. I am. I am. It's called Chambers. And these are all songs that were written in the chambers of my heart. Most of them were written during Eucharistic adoration, Uh but it's just music that I've heard in my heart that I want to share with the world. So we started the show with Desire and we just heard the Spiritual Communion song. Would those two be in the new album? Yes, that is definitely the plan. So we're so excited about that coming out soon. Right. Hopefully soon. We're, we're aiming for next summer, but with COVID and everything, we're, we're working as fast as we can. Right. Good. Well, that'll be a good excuse to get you back on the show. Um, <laughs> um, spiritual Communion, I wanted to ask you about that one song because I, is that the most recent one you've written? Yes. Yes. That is the most recent release. Yes. Um, and I'm assuming that it's because of COVID? Yes. Yes. It was so challenging during Lent not to be able to attend mass with all the churches that were closed and the spiritual communion prayer that was said on the virtual masses. That was the one thing that helped me get through it. It was almost like a piece of the Holy Eucharist that it just gave me a sense of the Lord's peace. So I wanted to be able to put that to music to help people memorize it. Yeah. And and yeah, what a great idea. Um, Thank you. And uh, I think that there are still people that do not have access to the Eucharist, um, yes. uh, whether, whether it's because of their frailty and they, don't, they can't leave their houses or because it's not available. So I, I think that that's a great gift. Um, Francesca, it's been so good to, uh, to meet you officially, to, uh, to chat with you this morning, to learn a little bit about what you do and uh, your music. And I'm excited about the new album uh, so we can get you back on the show. Uh, so thank you so much for spending a little time with us today. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity, Deacon Pedro. This is such a gift. Amen. Well, thank you. Um, you can learn more about Francesca La Rosa and her music at her website, francescalarosa.com. And here now to take us out is Francesca La Rosa with her single, Let Me Hear Your Voice. listening to Francesca La Rosa 
with Let Me Hear Your Voice. And that brings us to the end of this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to come to see us. Our website is slmedia.org. That's where you can find out all about Salt and Light Media and what we do. If you hear anything on this program and you want to comment or just to let us know that you like the show, reach out to me. You can find me on all social media platforms and you can email me, pedro at slmedia.org. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro.